Nehemiah chapter 6. I love the book of Nehemiah. I hope I don't ever bore you going back to that book, but it has been a life of, of revelation and truth to me. But in, Re- in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse number 3, let me read that one first. And it's the response of Nehemiah to some events that were happening in the process of them rebuilding the walls. And it says, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? And then skipping down to verse number 11, again, Nehemiah poses a question to those who had sought to distract him. And I said, should such a man as I flee, who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not Go in. And everybody said amen. Chapter 6 is the concluding chapter, not in the book of Nehemiah, but in the, in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And it was in that crucial time when Nehemiah faced two of the most severest of tests in his life. I want to talk to you about how to finish. Amen. Everybody say that with me. How to finish. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Nehemiah is one of the great studies of the Bible. If you have not done this, I would encourage you to make the book of Nehemiah part of your regular reading. Not just once a year, but many times during the year. Go back to the book of Nehemiah. Because there are so many things that you can gain from the life of this great man. He was stirred by a vision of a city in ruin. And it was so moving that he did something out of the ordinary. He asked for permission to go back and to do what he could to remedy that situation. And so being moved to do something, he marshaled the armies of God's people and he went headlong into tackling the task of rebuilding a city that was literally in rubbles. When the Babylonians got through with them, the stones had been cast down, the walls were broken, the gates were burned, the city was in ruins. And when Nehemiah saw that, he was moved. I wish that some of us could be moved like Nehemiah was at the sight of our present world condition. A world, walls that are broken down and gates that have been burned. I would that God would put a rebuilding spirit in all of us. Amen. Even in the midst of such adverse circumstances. I love Nehemiah because he was a builder. And I think I love him most because of the courage of a man who dared to build 
amid such circumstances. When the city was broken and ruined and there was nothing by visible sight to encourage him to do what he did, he simply moved with a burden. And what a difference that burden made for a city. I still believe burdens make a difference in living for God. I may be a little old-fashioned, and I probably came from a wrong generation, but I was taught that a burden made all the difference in the world, that you cannot effectively work for God without a burden to do that. You can have talents and giftings and all kinds of abilities and degrees, but if there is no passion, if there is no burden at what you're doing, you will not accomplish as much as the man who has a burden. I remember as a young person seeing the, the passion of a heart born out in my own life. There was a young lady in our home church that was not, uh, she, she was just, well, she didn't have any talents. She couldn't chew gum and walk at the same time. She was probably one of the most uncoordinated and spastic people I've ever been around in my life, to say it as gently as I can. She was a homely-looking girl and had a lot of adversities in her life. But I remember one night in a youth service, the youth pastor had tapped her to sing a solo. Nobody knew anything about it until service time, and when the announcement was made that she was going to sing, there was this snicker that went through the whole congregation because everybody knew how poorly she could sing. But I guess all of us underestimated what prayer can do in a person's life and what can happen when somebody really gets down before God and said, God, I don't have much, but whatever I have, I want you to use it. And I remember as she stepped to the platform and we all still had the snicker on our face when she opened her mouth to begin to sing. It wasn't the song of a mockingbird or the song of a songstress, but it was the song of somebody who had made contact with the one that they loved. And out of her lips came the most beautiful song. It moved the church. I can remember before long there were people wiping tears from their eyes because they were embarrassed and shocked at what God can do when somebody said, Lord, I'm not much, but when you're in it, little is much. And they submit themselves to the hand of an almighty God. I still believe that a burden makes a difference. I would rather have a person with a burden than a person with 10 degrees in management and leadership. I would rather have a person with a burden than to have somebody that's eloquent and gifted in speech. I would rather have somebody with a burden that felt a passion for what they were doing than somebody that was picture perfect in everything that they did. I believe that a burden still makes a difference in our life. And it makes a difference in whether a church succeeds or not. 
It's not how beautiful a building can be made. And it's certainly not in the location of our property. But if there is anything that's going to touch the soul of a man, it's for them to feel that when they walk in this building, there are people here that really do care about their soul. It may not be in the way that you would have wanted it to be, but when there is a burden that comes from the heart, it makes all the difference in the world. And I believe what helped sustain Nehemiah was the depth of his burden. And he had the courage to dare to build amid such rubble. And I believe that if there is anything that the story of Nehemiah highlights... It is the fact that it's not just how we start that matters, but how we finish is much more important. Anybody can begin, but it takes a real man or a woman to finish the task that they have put their hand to. And so Nehemiah had set out. He was not a prophet. He was not a preacher. He was... In our terms, he was just a layman, just a civil servant. But he was burdened with the reproach of Jerusalem's broken down walls and burned gates. And that moved him to do some wonderful things. He was granted permission to return from exile to be the rebuilder of Jerusalem. Oh, God, give us people with that kind of burden that want to rebuild things that are broken down. Amen. It doesn't take a real genius to figure out what's wrong. I like people that can come in and figure out what to do to make it right. Amen. Somebody say, God, help me to have a burden. Amen. God, help me to have a burden to put things back together. And so Nehemiah did the wise thing. He put together a team. He took them out to the city to view the rebel, and he cast a vision before them. He organized their efforts and he managed the huge task of bringing not only a broken down city, but a broken down people together. And in 52 days time, the impossible had been accomplished. The gates, the walls of the city had been rebuilt in spite of everything. And I don't have time to go into all the details, but there were a lot of things that came against Nehemiah. There were things from without. There were things from within. There were enemies that looked like enemies, and there were enemies that looked like friends. Sometimes you can't always tell the difference. And the enemy of your soul will send them in either disguise to disrupt what you're doing because the devil hates anybody that finishes. He hates anybody that's got the gall and the gumption to get up in spite of their failures and say, you know what, God didn't bring me this far for me to lay down and die here. And so I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm not going to be overrun. I'm not going to be overwhelmed. I'm just going to keep doing what God called me to do. And in spite of everything, Nehemiah did the impossible. I believe one key is found in Nehemiah chapter 4 when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem came to ridicule them. They mocked them. I read it again this afternoon just to refresh my mind of the accusations that they made against them. Sarcastic, cutting remarks about 
whether they could build anything that would be able to stand. And all of the things that they said against the people of God, Nehemiah's response to them was very simple. But after it was all said and done, he said, we were able to accomplish the work in spite of the mockery and all the efforts of the enemy because the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. There is a mindset that has to be a part of every finisher's life. And that mindset has got to be unwavering, no matter what kind of enticements, no matter how you are ridiculed or embarrassed, no matter the mockery that comes against you or the flattery that the enemy would use to seduce you. There's a mindset. You know what? I have come for one purpose, and that is to rebuild the walls of a broken down city. And so they did just that. And now after six long weeks of hard work, and I can only imagine, my Lord, I got to thinking about this today, how long and hard we've worked to get back in this building, and we weren't near as broken down as the city of Jerusalem was, but how he had marshaled that army, brought them all together. They were there side by side working where their families were, working in the neighborhood where their families lived. What a great spiritual principle to build the wall where your family lived. That's the best thing you can do for a church is to build the wall where your family lives. Don't fight us. Don't mock us. Don't ridicule. Just put your hand to the task and help us build a work for God. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise right now now and so six weeks my goodness six weeks and they were at the end of finishing the work they were nearing the finish line but before they would ever cross that threshold and before the last brick would be laid and the rocks put in place they were not going to finish without a fight amen and i want to tell you tonight You're not going to finish without a fight. I don't care what it is you're trying to build, whether it's a family or a marriage or a job or a future, you're not going to finish without a fight. You might as well make up your mind there's nothing wrong with you. You're not spiritually derelict because you're going through a battle right now. The intensity of your battle may indicate how close you are to the goal that you're trying to accomplish. And the sad truth is a lot of people give up inside of home. They give up within steps of the victory. They give up right before the breakthrough. And Nehemiah taught me something. He reminded me that you don't quit until everything is done. I don't care what happens. I don't care what people say. I don't care what people do. You might as well fight on until you finish. Amen. Somebody say, I've got to finish. And you're going to have to fight to the finish. He was tempted to abandon the project in the last phase. In the last moments, it was here that the enemy came in in such a powerful way and such a seductive way to try to lure him away from his goal and his purpose. And it was here that Nehemiah asked two very important questions that have to do with finishing strong and going all the way to the end. 
He said, first of all, why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? And then he said, should such a man as I flee? What enlightening questions. And they highlight to me the opposition that will be against you to the very end. You might as well accept that. Don't think it's strange. Paul said, don't think it's strange the fiery trials that have assailed you as if some strange thing has happened to you. This is part of the spiritual journey. But you're going to have opposition to the very end. The person that I would be fearful of is the one that's not having any opposition tonight. If everything is going okay, I have a good feeling that you're going the wrong way. Because the closer you and I get to the finish line, the greater the battle is going to be. What did John say in Revelation? That the enemy, Satan, was let loose and he went down knowing that he had but a short time. And what was he going to do in that short time? He was going to unleash his fury upon the earth. So I don't think it's strange that some of the greatest and most severe battles that some of you have ever fought in your spiritual journey are happening right now. It's because we're getting close to the end. Amen. Not just in the spiritual, but in many other ways. We're getting close to the end. The, the, the victory is about to be ours. There's a breakthrough that's coming. And so the enemy comes in in that moment, and he tries his best to somehow turn your attention and your efforts and your strength and your fervor away in another direction. The battles of life before us and all of the spirit that it takes to finish is what Nehemiah is trying to show us. And how I respond to life's challenges to my spiritual destiny in these moments is very telling. Amen. There were elements that were against him on every side. There was deceit among his own brethren. And there was the weakness of his own people in which he worked. But most important to me is the mindset that Nehemiah had adopted. I didn't start this thing to let go in the middle. Amen. I didn't start this thing. You know what? I figured out the reason that I'm still pastoring this church. Would you like for me to share with you a revelation why I'm still pastoring? It's not because I'm the best or the wisest or anything like that. Certainly there have been times when I thought, you know what, the best thing for me to do would be to pack my bags and head on down the freeway. But the only reason that I'm still here, one of the reasons that I'm still here, not the only one, but one of them, is that my dad always taught me, son, if you start something, don't stop until you finish it. And every time I get to the place I feel like giving up, my dad's words come ringing back in my ear. You don't stop until you finish. And you're not finished yet. God's not through here. God's not through with what he's going to do here. So you just keep right on working. So the reason that Nehemiah was there is because he did not set out to stop. He did not set out to quit. Quitting was not an option to him. Going on was the only thing. And so he had this mindset. And he speaks to us so many years later of the importance of finishing our assignment in life. And there are many temptations that will 
will come to you in the closing moments, right before the victory, right before the breakthrough come. The greatest temptations and the greatest pressures are going to come on you and I. In the last day, the last lap of the race is often the most challenging. And it's only to that one that endures to the end that shall be saved. And it's when you are getting close to the end that the enemy opens up the barrels and he lets go. The pressure mounts. And it seems so much easier for me to quit than to go on. Amen. God's word to you is, listen, Nehemiah has something to say to you. His enemies come on the scene in chapter 6 and they seek to turn him from his purpose. May I remind you again tonight that the building of a life or a church or a family or a home or a future is going to be troubled by many adversities, but none so severely as in the closing moments. The pressures, the impossibilities, the improbabilities of the task, and the haters of those of what you represent. Do you understand me tonight when I tell you that there are people, not just people, but there are spirits that do not want you to succeed? They don't want you to finish this race The devil doesn't want your family to stay together. He doesn't want your marriage to work. He doesn't want your children to turn out right. And so he comes on every turn, and especially in those closing moments, he came with some of the most severe temptations that could be given and leveled to a man. But it's not how long the race is, and it's not how long you've been at the race What matters is that you stay with the race until you finish. Amen. No matter how difficult it is and no matter what you come up against, the most important thing tonight is we have to finish. Amen. We have to finish. It's not until the walls are rebuilt that the job is done. Nehemiah asked two questions that I believe help us to stay focused and can help us finish successfully. Number one, he asked a question. When you are tempted to get off on a side street, he reminded us the importance of staying focused. He said, I am doing a great work. When he was tempted to come down and meet his enemy in the plain of Ono, that in itself ought to be a good sign. You don't need to go. Any place that's named Ono is an Ono. And you know what I've learned in life? There are a lot of places like Ono in life. Now, I know there may be some deeper spiritual meaning to that than what I understand, but what I do comprehend is that Sanballat and his deceitful friends made a last effort to derail him, and they tried to trick him into meeting them on a side street. Because Ono was that. It was just a side street. He didn't have anything to do with his purpose. He didn't have anything to do with his calling. He didn't have anything to do with what God had sent him there to do. And all the enemy was trying to do was distract him and get him off on some secondary thing to where he spent his time and energy talking to people that really didn't want to hear what he had to say. You know what, I don't know, maybe I'm getting a little too blunt in my old age, but I don't have time to waste on people that don't want to live for God. 
Amen. You say, Brother Eunice, why don't you answer my call? It may, that, it may not be that, but it could be. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I, if I don't return your call, it's probably because I'm busy. But do you ever get tired of trying to beg people to keep living for God? When there are people all around you that are dying and going to hell, and if you spent that much energy on one of them, there would be 15 people sitting on the road beside you, beside that one person that you keep trying to hold on to. Sometimes in life we just have to let go and let God take care of what He's got to take care of. But if I would spend my time and my energy on what really mattered, the outcome would be so much better. And all the enemy is trying to do is take away your spiritual energy so that you spend it on things that don't matter. You know, it doesn't matter whether you live in a right, this neighborhood or that neighborhood, but there are people that are selling their soul to the mighty dollar so they can get to that next neighborhood. They can move themselves up the notch on the totem pole. It doesn't matter where you buy your clothes at Walmart, Dillard's, or the or, or, or down here at Goodwill. It doesn't matter where our clothes come from. Our clothes don't make us. We make our clothes. And when we understand that there are many things in life that the enemy will throw at us so that he can suck the energy out of us and take away our concentration for what we really need to be doing. I just wondered tonight... How many distracting things the enemy has thrown at you over the last few weeks and months to try to turn your mind away from what you really ought to be doing? Why is he doing it? Because he knows you're close to a victory. He knows you're close to a breakthrough. And so he calls you off the wall. I like Nehemiah's response. I'm doing a good work. I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. I like that attitude that said, you know what? You you may have some meaningful conversation, but you can't give me what I need to help me get the job finished. So I think I'm going to stay at the task. Sand ballots are sent to cause us to lose our focus and and distract us from what we have been called to do. And that is build a wall. Build a home, build a family, build a marriage, build a future. And the, and the distractions are many. I am convinced that the end time is certainly a time of deception. That's what the Bible says. That in the last days there would be false prophets that would arise. Antichrist would come from every corner proclaiming themselves to be something that they're not. But I have also discovered that an equally present danger in the end time is not the spirit of deception, but the spirit of distraction. Amen. One of the most vivid pictures that I know is painted in Scripture of distraction concerns the seed that was sown. You know about the four soils that were mentioned in Matthew There were the soils on which the seed fell, but there was one soil that was mentioned in particular. It was called the stony ground. It was there that the seed fell, and it began to grow. But it wasn't long until there was another element growing. The weeds began to grow with it. There were briars and brambles that began to grow up around this seed, this wheat, whatever it was that had been sown. 
And in the Greek, it indicates that there was something going on underneath the surface that was sucking the life out of that plant so that it could not produce fruit. It had the evidence on the outside as far as the leaves and every appearance that it should have been fruitful. But the Bible says that it was unfruitful because it was being distracted from its divine purpose. There was something that had circumvented where the nutrients would be coming to the surface of the plant or they would be sucked up by the roots. The root system of the weeds had had wrapped themselves so much around the roots of the wheat that when the nutrients would come up, they would suck them out of the plant so that it could not produce the fruit that it was designed to produce. I'm here to tell you that one of the great ministries of the end time of the devil is a ministry of distraction. And if he can get you looking at things that don't matter and concerned with things that don't matter and caught up with things that don't matter, he will have done his job. And Nehemiah said, I don't have time to be distracted. I've got a good work to do. You know what? It helps some of us if we would feel a little bit better about the work that we're doing. We're doing a good work. If you're trying to build a family, you're doing a good work. If you're trying to build a marriage, you're doing a good work. If you're trying to build a home, I don't care what kind of adversities are against you. It's a good work. It's a great work. You don't need to let anybody shame you or embarrass you or make you feel like you're inadequate. If you're trying to build something, that's a great thing. Amen. And sand ballots are sent to cause you to lose focus and get you distracted on a side street so that you waste all your energy and all your time on things that don't matter. Paul said bodily exercise profiteth nothing. He said there are those that will give themselves to the enrichment of their human body but it doesn't produce what they need. What I need is a spiritual exercise that will bring me in closer contact with the power that really makes a difference. I need the hand of God on my life. I need the blessings of God on my life, and I need the mercy of God with me if I'm going to succeed. So there are a lot of distractions in this hour that we live in. Amen. Some of them are on Facebook. Some of them are on your computer. Amen. You know what the devil does? He plants things. He plants tares. That's what the enemy does. He plants tares to grow up with the wheat. And while you're sleeping, he's working. Trying to figure out another way to get in, put a foothold, get some kind of leverage over you. And he's always planting seeds of destruction. If we're not careful, we can get sidetracked by things that don't matter and spend all of our energy. I remember reading the history of the early church, and it seems to me that the church in Russia, when when Russia was being overrun by the communist regime and the country was being, I mean, murder wholesale was going on, The church at that time in Russia, the ministry was in conclave and they were debating the color of the fringe of the priest garments. While their city is being overrun by a spirit of communism, 
They're inside arguing about the color of some fringe that goes on their garment. And I'm telling you, it, there's not a lot has changed since the early 1900s to the 2000s. There is that same spirit if he can get you focused on something that doesn't matter. You know what? It doesn't matter if you get first place or second place. It doesn't matter if you get to sit on the front row or the next row. It doesn't matter whether somebody shakes your hand or they don't shake your hand or whether you're going to be saved or not. What matters is that when you come to the house of God, there's an opportunity for you to make contact with God and you have an opportunity to draw closer to him so don't let all that other mess get in your way praise God am I messing with your cabbage right now I want to mess with it too many distracting things that are going on Somehow we've got to get our mind focused back on what really matters. Thank God Nehemiah was wise enough to know that the focus of his effort needed to remain on the good work, the great work that he was doing. How many times in your own life have you been tempted to turn aside on some secondary road and waste your life? A lot of folks have been there. A lot of folks are still there. God, help us to get back on the right road. Amen. Somebody say, I've got to finish. I've got to finish. And I don't want to be distracted in this hour. I don't want to be distracted. I I don't want to get so caught up in this world that I lose focus of what really matters. Amen. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I want you to reach over and take somebody by the hand. God, I come right now to rebuke the spirit of distraction. And the element of distraction that has been loosed in this world, in our own church community, the Spirit, Lord, that rises at every corner to stop the good work of God. There are people that are at the breakthrough point. There are people here tonight that are at a place of revival and the enemy is fighting them with everything he has to try to distract them, to get them in, to put their energy in another sector or another area. God, help us to keep our focus. Help us to keep our eyes on what matters, to keep our mind on what matters, to keep our effort in what matters, Lord, to keep our strength moving toward what matters and that is that we finish what we have started hallelujah somebody say I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down I cannot come down amen I cannot come down the next thing that I notice in this chapter when he was tempted to be put on the sidelines by fear He remained faithful to his calling. If you read the latter portion of the verses that we read from in Nehemiah chapter 6, let me pick up to verse number, I think it's number 8. He said, And then I sent unto him, saying, There are, well, let me go back to verse 7, or verse 6, really. Wherein was written, this is the report that Sanballat brings against him trying to frighten him. It is reported among the heathen and Gashmu. I don't know who Gashmu is, but evidently he was somebody of importance. 
It was like saying, well, you know, so-and-so and Brother Hughes knows too. Kind of throwing that jab out there to insinuate or intimidate somebody. And so Sanballat says, Geshmu saith it. So if he says it, it must be true. It's kind of like the Internet. If it's on the Internet, it's got to be true. That thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king of Babylon, according to these words, Come now, therefore, and let us Take counsel together. Nehemiah said, And when I sent unto them, say, First of all, there are no such things done as thou sayest. But thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid. This is Nehemiah's response. The whole purpose of this effort, this concerted effort against us at this moment is nothing more to intimidate us and make us afraid, saying their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. What a prayer to pray. God, strengthen our hands. Afterward, I came into the house of Shimea, and he said, he was, and it was shut up. And he said, he said, let us meet together in the house of God. Basically what his brother in the flesh was trying to tell him is that something really bad is about to happen in this city. And you need to retreat to the temple because that's the only place that you're going to be safe. And Nehemiah realized, I can't finish my job if I'm hiding in a temple. I want to tell you what I believe the spirit of this age is trying to do to the church right now. Every time I look at the Internet, there is some kind of derogatory report about Christianity and all the negative stuff that's being said. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to drive us back in this building so we stay off the streets and away from the rebuilding of a wall and a city. And God said, your calling is not just in this building. Your calling is in the world. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel. And the thing that we cannot let happen is that we allow ourselves to become afraid in this last hour because we are intimidated by the things that are being said against us. You know what I figured out also? I don't have to defend myself on some of those things God's going to defend me. As a matter of fact, I've learned this much about the enemy. A lot of times he throws mud on the wall just to see what's going to stick and see what kind of reaction he can get out of you. And you can start fighting these, these, these phantoms and, and, and waste all of your energy. But I am convinced that what happened to Nehemiah is happening in the spirit world right now in the world in which we live. The, the world 
hates what we're doing. They hate what we represent. The world spirit hates the fact that we're close to the end and we're about on the verge of the greatest victory that the world has ever known, and that is the church triumphant that's going to be taken out of this world. And so the enemy is trying to threaten us and make us afraid to be who we are and to keep doing what God sent us into the world to do, and that's to make disciples and preach the gospel. And so he sent the messenger you need to get into the house of God and stay there because that's the only place you're going to be safe. You know what I'm convinced of? The devil isn't threatened at the least when we huddle in here in our holy huddles and have good church. What threatens him is when you walk out of these doors from that holy huddle with a holy anointing and you go out into his world and you make holy havoc. That's what he doesn't want to happen. And so he tries his best to make us afraid and fearful and intimidate us. I am so thankful Nehemiah had a response and his response was, Hey, should a man like me flee? Should I be afraid of what the world is throwing at me right now? Not on your life. The only reason the enemy is throwing it is because he knows that you're close to the finish. He knows that you're about to have a breakthrough. And so he comes trying to make you afraid and intimidate you, make you feel like you can't finish. I'm not running out on my responsibilities in this hour I'm going to keep running to the task that God has given me. I am not looking for a way of escape. I am looking for a way to go through. But I know this much. The enemy of my soul is not going to silence my testimony and my witness. And he is not going to silence my life by his fearful tactics. You're a light that is set on a hill not to be put under a bushel. You are salt of the earth. What does salt do? Salt, salt preserves. But more than that, salt makes thirsty. And the reason the devil would like to water down your saltiness is because you have the ability to create thirst in other people for God. And so he will do his best to try to neutralize your influence and your effect in the world. Somebody say, I am the salt of the earth. I am sent for a purpose. God has something for me to do, and I cannot stop until that is done. Amen. I'm talking about how to finish, how to finish strong, how to finish right. You've got to stay at it, you've got to stay focused, and you've got to be faithful. Two of the most powerful words that I could give you, focused, faithful. Focused, faithful. Don't be afraid. God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. Amen. If there's anything, if there's anybody that ought to be afraid in this hour, it ought to be the devil. Amen. It ought to be the fact that living in the neighborhood where you live is a spirit-filled, 
God-directed soul that's going to finish the job that God put them in this world to finish. And they're not giving up. Amen. Amen. I'm not going back. I'm going on. Amen. Let's stand together. We've got to finish what we've started. Amen. You know what I am convinced of? Is that if the enemy can stop me in these areas, he has pretty much accomplished every goal he has ever had since his beginning. Because it doesn't matter how long you've ran, if you don't cross that finish line, it's all for nothing. Amen. So, Brother Hughes, I've worked a hard life. I've worked a long time. And I don't feel like I've done it, but just keep working. Amen. The harder the enemy fights, the closer you are to the victory. You know what I've also discovered? That the area that the enemy fights the most in your life is usually the area where you are gifted by God. And the reason he fights you in that area is because he knows if you ever recognize that God has anointed you and gifted you, that you're going to wreak havoc on his kingdom. So he attacks you in that area of your anointing. But he won't just attack you in that area. He will come against you in your mind and try to intimidate you and beat you down so that when you go through life, you're like milk toast. Amen. I love what it says in Acts. It says, These are they that have turned the world upside down. Amen. They said, Paul, or, or, or James and Peter, we don't know a lot about your credentials. They're ignorant and unlearned men. But this one thing we know, they've been with Jesus. Amen. What a difference it makes when you're with Him. What a world they shook because they were with Him. What a city could be shaken if we would get with Him. Amen. Church, are you hearing what I'm saying? What city could we shake tonight if we would just get with Him and stay with Him? Amen. Reach over and grab somebody by the hand and say, I've got to finish this thing. I'm not going to be distracted. And I'm not going to be intimidated. And I'm not going to be made to run. I'm not going to, to hide. I'm going to let my light shine. I'm going to clean that globe up a little bit so the light can get a little further out. Amen. Come on, lift your voice to the Lord right now and let's praise Him together. Hallelujah. God, we love you tonight. We praise you, oh God. We praise you. We praise you.